your weekly fix of Asian music. This is Asian Pop Nation. Welcome to our special Asian Pop Nation and Arts Mitten crossover episode. In honor of International Women's Day, which happened yesterday, we will be playing a higher number of female artists on tonight's show and also be playing them back to back so we can pay a tribute to some of the amazing female artists, singers, producers, songwriters, and all of the amazing Asian women in the music scene. But before we get back into the music, let's meet some of the members of Arts Mitten and some of the familiar voices you hear here at Asian Pop Nation. Welcome everyone to Artsmanin and this is our special episode with Asian Pop Nation. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm super excited for this. My name's Imogen, I'm the EP and I'm joined with Tyler and Jess who's from Artsmanin and from Asian Pop Nation. There's a lot of you here. I'm joined with Ben and Senya. You've got Celeste here. Hi, it's John Paul. Oh, and that's us here at Asian Pop Nation. So the Sin resident Asian music and culture show. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be talking to the amazing team of Artsmen. Definitely. This show is a long time coming. We have been talking since I think the first week of Sin, like for 2020, all about the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra show that was supposed to happen over Chinese New Year, but then sadly the five-day lockdown happened. Um, So I feel like this is a really long time coming. (laughs) Definitely. And hopefully we can see it soon. Yes, hopefully. Fingers crossed. We're keeping an eye out and keep your ear out for that, guys. You're listening to the Asian Pop Nation and Art Smitten collaboration here on Sin 90.7. Now we're going to dive into a review of a new Korean film called Minari. The perfect topic of discussion for this collaboration between Art Smitten and Asian Pop Nation. Stick around, you're going to like this one. What do you think of Benari Celeste? Um, well, I don't know about you, but I thought it was just like an okay movie. It wasn't one of the best movies I've ever seen, um, considering it won, was it best foreign film at the Golden Globes? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like throughout the whole movie, like the start and the, and the middle parts, I found super enjoyable. And then somehow it led into like a weird ending, which left me off feeling kind of unsatisfied towards the end. But yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really leave feeling satisfied. I was, I left kind of feeling confused, but I liked it because I think for me it was the small moments and the, fu- the small funny moments in the film that made it enjoyable not so much the plot or like the conclusion. I thought the young boy in the film was probably my favourite character out of all of them, just because he brought so much humour and fun to it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I love the relationship between the little boy and the grandma. And like for those of you who don't know what Minari is, it's a movie about this Korean family trying to kind of achieve the American dream in America by like starting their own little farm but growing Korean crops. And the reason why it's called Minari is because there's this plant, which I'm assuming is from Korea, called Minari, and it grows close to riverbeds and like it adapts to any environment. And so that's like kind of a metaphor for the Korean family itself in adapting in this new environment and trying to, yeah, grow. (laughs) Yeah, it's an apt metaphor. The symbolism is really nice. And I think the relationship between the grandmother and um, her grandson is really special too. 
there's some really funny moments and special moments with them. Yeah, there's yeah. a few. Sorry, there's a few cultural things which I was like, as an Asian person and someone who like understands Korean culture, like which I fully understood and enjoyed. I was wondering from your perspective, like how did you find all the like the card games and stuff that was like part of Korean culture? Did you like fully understand it or? I probably didn't fully understand it, but I just appreciated it as kind of what it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like why I didn't know what maybe the game was. I knew that it was like a special connection that like made them, like brought them together and was like a connection to Korea. So yeah, but I thought the storytelling was very particular and it was, it wasn't generalized. There was like Korean director, Korean actors. So they have an authentic experience. I don't know if you agree. I think... It is pretty authentic because it was based off part of the director's like personal story itself. So yeah, we had some of that authentic experience and yeah, like for the rest of you all in the room, are you interested in watching Minari? What are your thoughts so far? Did we put you off yet? (laughs) I am so excited to see this film. I need to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, especially after the director's Golden Glow speech with his daughter and he's like, this is why I made the film. So I haven't cute. seen it yet. I should probably watch it. <laughs> yeah. His acceptance speech, he had his daughter in his lap and he's oh. like, this is the reason why I made the film. So cute. And also the little the little boy, the actor was on like the W magazine and they were like, what's your favorite actor? He's like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> It's like, I, I see so much hype for this film. I want to see it. <laughs> Wait, did you see in that interview? Sorry, this was, if you think that's cute, this is even cuter. They asked him what his favourite song and he said his favourite song was Sugar by Macaroon 5. <laughs> he <said> a- <laughs> oh, yes, I saw that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so cute. And, like, the photo shoots with him are so adorable. I'm obsessed with them. He's so cute. But yes, I do love the look of this film and I definitely want to go and see it and I don't know why I haven't yet, in all honesty. <laughs> I mean, A24, like, owns me pretty much, like, anything they put out. I'm like, yeah, let's go see it. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very keen. Um, you will catch me in a few, in, like, the next couple of Mondays at Nova watching it. So. All right. Any more thoughts on the movie itself? <laughs> yeah, I think cool. we pretty much covered it. For those listening at home, if you plan to watch Minari, you've already seen it. Message us on facebook.com forward slash Asian Pop Nation or at Sin on Instagram. And hopefully you liked the ending more than we did. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Tell us about the ending. Tell us what you think about the ending and whether you liked it or did you think it was a bit of a letdown. You just heard a row of three songs. The first one was by Japanese artist Yon Yon called Bridge. You also heard Trepanation by Millennium Parade, also from Japan. And then All the Way in China by The Nine, Dum Dum Bomb, which kind of goes into our next discussion, which talks a little bit about our thoughts on US remakes. So you only need to look at the title of the song to see what most of our members think about that. But let's hear what they have to say. All right, has anyone seen Train to Busan in the room? I have. I have, yeah. yes. Did you know that they're planning to make a US remake? 
Why? <laughs> I heard that and I was like, this just absolutely makes no sense in a US context. Right? Because I, I think I saw a tweet where someone's like, trains don't run the same way in Korea and there's no way that could work. But yeah, I'm interested to see how this works out in the US because as we all know, usually US remakes don't work out ever. No, <laughs> not really. So the US is notorious for remaking films to suit themselves they do it for many different cultures for some reason i can just think of the other dragon tattoo and how that film was actually awful the u.s remake version but anyway train of his son yes one that don't have bullet trains there and then also the film is about the korean class structure which they're critiquing which then wouldn't translate to the u.s at all so yeah why do they keep taking successful things and then having to like drip them dry you know like why do they have to make remake things but then make them worse <laughs> it's so frustrating so nice. it's about there's a group of people and they're on the train from Seoul to Busan which is an hour and it's a bullet train and there's a zombie apocalypse that happens on that train so this girl and like the first scene she kind of like crawls on and she has she's been bitten by a zombie and then they're on this bullet train and slowly everything derails um <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pun <laughs> as they're on this <laughs> And, like, it's not just inside the train, also outside the train, you're slowly realizing that society is, like, also derailing and also going into chaos. And they have to work together to solve the problem. But in the film, they turn to a businessman. He becomes the leader. Even the staff listen to him. And that's a critique on a event that happened in 2014 where there's a group of people, mostly teenagers actually, so I think it was a school event. They were on a boat and the boat capsized because there was too many people on board and the staff saved themselves and the passengers then drowned and the corporation was kind of nowhere to be seen and neither was the government in that situation. And that's really what the trend of Hassan is kind of based on. So yeah, people in the US would not understand. Like, I, like they can do research on it, but like if you're just going to the cinema and watching it, you just wouldn't get the context of it as well. And they did this for another film. There's this film, I got its name. It's about ballroom dancing. In that context, it was very like taboo to be like physically close to someone as you are in ballroom dancing. And then they remade the film in America, but like there's not that taboo there. And then the film just didn't not work. Everyone's like, why is this guy so awkward around dancing? Like no one understood it. And it was like a horrible box office flop. Anyway, those are my two cents about Train to Busan. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense if you're not going to also put in the time and effort to make it culturally relevant. I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's the belief that it'll be even more popular with Western audiences if they remade it, but... It's not even like with Disney remakes where it's for the nostalgia's sake. It's just, I'm not sure if it's to increase profits or to increase the audience size. But yeah, I don't think there's been any that I can think of which have made a good remake out of, for example, one we brought up with in the discussion was The Grudge and The Ring. I'm not sure if that's... Oh, yes. Those yes. two. Yeah. If yes. anyone's seen both of them and what you thought about the differences between the two. I've only seen The Ring and that was when I was a kid and that was a bad move. The only reason it worked for me is because I didn't know the original existed, right? By itself, the American Ring movie was already a good movie. Like you could just sit someone in a cinema and they can watch it and be like, whoa, that was spooky. 10 out of 10, right? So I think the issue is that um, these US remakes are just trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one US remake technically is The Lion King. Is this the, Lion King. the Please elaborate. 
Kimba, 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 the Kimba yes. Okay, so <laughs> Lion King, all the characters, even like the main character's name, Simba, was all taken from an old Japanese story called Kimba, the White Lion, which was about like a white lion going on adventures in like his land, right? It was just about Hamlet. <laughs> was it? Well, I haven't read Hamlet, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. That's just similar, like the uncle is accused of having murdered Hamlet's father oh. and Hamlet's there to try and prove that he did it. Okay, maybe I'll read that soon. I'll read that soon. <laughs> maybe Kimba was based on Hamlet. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know either. Right? I think that's like so true of so many fairy tales and mm-hmm. like fables a lot of them originate from China like Cinderella that originated from China like really? the first, yeah like the <laughs> first known text of Cinderella is like from China for like something like the 12th century used to me and I'm in Chinese fact, like. you can fact check <laughs> me on that but yeah the first Cinderella is Chinese and like the stories traveled around the world because of the Silk Road which I find really interesting even back then there was like globalization and that was just and I think something like Cinderella is such a like universal story that it can travel through literally for centuries in languages but yeah but then kind of like they took it for their own didn't they really so well, i guess that's the issue then universality um if a story this is especially true of really old stories right the only reason they survived is because everyone got them yeah and i think the issue with um these current u.s remakes is that the asian films are very much contained within their contemporary culture in asia in the country they came from right so the issue happens when they try to remake it and there's like that cultural dissonance, if you get what I mean. But I think it's interesting that you point out that Cinderella originated from China, but because it, it seems like we've just been making remakes since forever. <laughs> since, yeah, exactly. we, <laughs> we since we started just, stories, that we're going to remake this humankind. for our audiences. You were saying, Jopal? Yeah, just since the beginning of humankind, we've just been copying. Nothing is original. <laughs> <laughs> the moral of the story, nothing is original. Yeah. <laughs> is there any... Asian media that you think would be interesting as a Western remake? Oh, there's this old Chinese story. I forgot what it was called. Was it um, Journey to the West? Apparently that's really good. Like That's a really good ancient story. I don't know. Maybe that would work. I mean, I can definitely think of films that I'm like, I cannot understand how you would make this a Western movie. <laughs> 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 like, sounds one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, actually, I think um, one tip for any American film producer that's listening to this right now, if you're going to remake an Asian story, make sure it's something that no one knows. Because <laughs> is already so popular, right? Everyone that's interested in like movies in general, they've heard of Train to Busan and they've been told, yeah, it's a good movie. So like, why remake that now? You're just going to make people mad. Not to bring this film up again, but it's like on my mind because we were talking about it before. Did you hear the possibly going to be making a HBO spin-off of Parasite. Why? Yeah, sorry. I think it's like Mark Ruffalo. And I'm like, what are you doing? No. What are you doing? Wait, who? Mark Ruffalo? Mark Ruffalo. Absolutely not. Like, I don't understand. I just, like, that's a choice. Do you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) like, you made that decision on your own and like, geez, like, nah. (laughs) I think think it's, it's one of those things where people will be so enraged by it that they'll go and watch it anyway just to see like how bad is it really yeah just to hate on it yeah like it doesn't matter they still get money right 
but, yeah. it, but then I'm just Jesus. like, just go, just go watch the original one. Like someone poured <laughs> their heart and their soul into it and they've made it. And like, you're, it's like that kid who's like, oh, can I, can I look over your homework? I'm not going to copy it. And then literally just hands it in like word for word. And, and then it's like, just go to the original one, like see Parasite, see the normal one. Reading subtitles. Maybe they should just though. like with the plagiarism. Maybe plagiarism. And that's the thing with film. It's like, you don't really plagiarize. It's, oh, you know, I'm paying homage. Like it's an homage. It's, you know, I'm paying reference to them because, you know, like they're all like amazing. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. That's another <laughs> film that's like all about Korean society. It's not, you know what I mean? Like it's not Cinderella. It's not like a universal story. It's literally about like this specific culture and their society within it, which is interesting to watch. But then also like, how do you translate that to an American audience as well to like, oh, that frustrates me so much. Have you guys seen the anime Monster? Yeah. No. Oh, that's the one about the-, uh, the Is that that, that right? series? Yeah. Oh. yeah. So I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. So it's about a Japanese doctor in the early 1990s and he's in Germany in a hospital there. He's engaged to the like the director's daughter and he's a he's a fantastic surgeon. And then one night after like this big gala event where the mayor of the town has said he'll invest all this money into medical research, he's on shift and the mayor comes in and needs urgent brain surgery. And then also this orphan boy comes in and he needs brain surgery too. They're telling him you have to work on the mayor. And he's like, no, I'm going to like save a child. So then he went and defied his orders and saved the child's life. And then it fast forwards nine years and the child is 20. And it turns out that he is a serial killer. And this guy completely gave up his entire career. And then he is, and then it's like hunting him down, basically. Fantastic series. I'm up to like episode 40 out of 70 at the moment. I still need to watch it, but I've seen the first Monster. Monster. Oh my, the, the, it's it's good. It's really good. It's just so good. It's, I love it. Um, HBO, they try to remake that too. They try to they try oh, to buy the really? rights to it and make it into a live action. Did they actually and make it? No, no. no. Oh. The director was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Did he go into any reasoning to why he rejected rejected it? That's a really good question and i'm not quite sure whether it was you know who wanted to remake it the director who did shape of water oh which is interesting interesting. yeah Yeah. i'm not quite sure why they rejected it but i know it's just such a popular show in japan and outside of japan it was a really popular manga before that and i'm not quite sure i think they wanted to keep it authentic and i am glad for that (laughs) have any of you guys seen battle royale yes uh, oh, sorry. I mean, have any of you guys I've seen The Hunger Games? Um, yeah, sorry. Literally <laughs> a ripoff of it. Um, well, I mean, Battle Royale is they. It's in. It's set in Japan, and they get a group of ninth grade students and put them into like an arena and force them to kill each other. And literally, like, then how many years later, Suzanne Collins was like, "Katniss Everdeen, go on fire!" <laughs> and now we have the Hunger Games. And honestly, it really frustrates me because Battle Royale is better than the Hunger Games. And she made this whole like fake story. She was like, "I was just like flipping through channels, and on one channel there was a reality TV." show and the next channel there was like a new segment about like something that was like gory and i was like whoa whoa what if we put the two what we put them together (laughs) i have a question though how different is battle royale as a story compared to hunger games because i know we have the surface level idea of you have people pitted to kill each other right but how about the thematic foundations 
Are they? Well, I mean, you yeah. don't have the whole like love triangle in it because The Hunger Games is a YA, like it's a young adult novel. Mm-hmm. But you've got like, I think you've definitely got like the whole thing of The Hunger Games of like people in the arena are then acting like savages and are like, you've definitely got that part. But I think like, or in my opinion, she basically took Battle Royale and then gave it a protagonist and went with it. Oh, I see. In my opinion. Imogen, back me up or critique me. What do you think? So again, I think there's a lot of like cultural context that has been taken out of the original and in like with The Hunger Games, it's been completely taken out. So there's a huge monologue at the end because, spoiler alert guys, sorry, the two main characters, because I only one person could win and just like the hunger games the two main characters decide to not like kill each other she's anyway. paying homage yeah mm. yeah just paying homage right <laughs> right guys she got it from a real tv show slipping between channels anyway <laughs> <laughs> anyway so like but at the end because there's this like sergeant person who is like the overseer and he has this monologue at the end saying why it's important to have this border royale and why it's important to have ninth graders in there in his monologue he discusses the war the second world war and how so many people lost their lives to that and also due to the atomic bomb explosions um that happened in Nagasaki and Hiroshima and how like society needs to be reminded again and again and again every single year the what the toll of war is and That's how literally horrible in the Hunger Games. Sorry. Yeah. Like literally President Snow says that in the Hunger Games. I'm over this. Ugh. <laughs> Not you, Imogen, just like I'm sorry. This just annoys. I know it's just, out of me. It's literally like yeah, but then like Japanese context because it was the Second World War was devastating, absolutely devastating, and they're not allowed to have a. They can have like a defense force, but they can't have an like offense force thing that's being put on them by NATO. Yeah, it's to remind the people like what a toll war has, and that specifically Japanese context, which then the US just like it doesn't quite work for the US context. And the Hunger Games doesn't quite have that emotional note to it, I would say. Mm. I think they made up like a new civil war in America. And it's like, what are you doing? I just, yeah, guys, I have beef with Suzanne Collins. (laughs) (laughs) I've got beef with her. Would you say though, as a standalone story, that it worked? (laughs) (laughs) The Hunger Games? Yeah, the Hunger Games, right. Yeah, the Hunger Games. I mean, it is an excellent story. It's just not Suzanne Collins' story. You know, it's all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. then maybe that's one of the things that you mentioned earlier John Paul there's a film that not many people know about unless they're film majors <laughs> and, and so I guess it's one of those things where since the majority of us haven't seen it or heard of it then mm. it Wait, kind of we- slips under the radar I recommend it it's much better than it's very graphic though like morning it's like a lot but like it, it is quite graphic I think I've seen screenshots uh when I've I seen a video it. essay on it's it also I a think, bad idea. yeah comparing it to the Hunger Games so all right add it to the list ever growing list that I'm sure we, we all oh, have. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> but I think I saw in I don't know if it's Kill Bill it's a Tarantino film mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's Kill Bill there's like a girl from Battle Royale and she's like in Kill Bill and I like this is gonna annoy the living daylights out of me but yeah anyway I thought that's cool that's actually how you do a homage, homage. But that's actually how you do it yeah you don't do say- it Wait, you that's the girl with the mace, another story. Right? Yeah, yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's cool. She's, she's cool. like, like based off the girl from Battle Royale. Mm. And that's how you do it. You don't go, I'm just going to take the whole narrative, <laughs> remove the context, add some white people and we're good to go. Like that's yeah. not what you do. And just be like, oh, it's from another culture. Like it's fine. Like I also think people 
forget that there's a thing called Google and you can search up where something is from. Like this anonymity of we're just going to steal it without any consequences. Like we can we can see where you got this from. Like it's not hard to <sighs> Can you guys feel my anger radiating yes, across the It like yeah, it's coming frustrates out of the me so <laughs> much. It's not Cinderella and we're not on the Silk Road anymore. (laughs) You have no excuse. And then my thing is as well, you have so many screenwriters who are like have scripts ready to go. You can pick a new story. Like you can tell a new story. Like someone told the story already in a great way. We should, you know, preserve that, not ruin that. Just make another story. Find another story to tell. There's people who are like literally writing their whole lives to tell their own stories. Listen to them. Don't just repeat someone else's and like whitewash it. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm getting really annoyed. (laughs) This is just an hour and a half of Jess's breakdown. Um. discussion between Arts Mitten and Asian Pop Nation here on Sin 90.7 as we talk about some digital avatar creations, not just on gaming platforms, but also in virtual classrooms. Let's head straight into it, shall we? One thing that we're still tackling with, um, considering if you're a university student is we still, at least for me, I still have university classes online. Um, And however, some universities in Japan have been utilizing virtual reality to transform the online learning environment where students' faces, this is so cool, can be projected onto avatars and explore the digital version of their university. And that includes the laboratory, the campus, and also the streets around the campus. Um, I think that's such a cool idea and I go to Swinburne and Swinburne has a very similar thing to that called Swintopia which is like a game so (laughs) yeah I can see that how it works and it's very cute but what what are your guys opinion on this do you think this is like an accurate representation of the university experience um no no Do do you think it helps considering that we still have to learn online, especially in somewhere like Japan where COVID cases are still quite high? Um, Do you think that would would help um, if you're there or if you're a university student and COVID cases were high here, having kind of like that virtual reality version? See, that would just make me more upset about having to study online without like choosing to study online. Like I know last year if someone was like to me, hey, let's take a virtual tour of Melbourne Uni. I'd be like, no, let's not because I don't want to see the campus and it's going to make me upset. We're not doing it. Like to each their own, but I'm just, I don't understand it. It's like, why would you need to find out where things are on campus? You're not on campus. Like, yeah, seems like a bit of useless information. I mean, it's cute. And I think the idea and like the sentiment of it is gorgeous, but it's just like, could that time have been spent into offering resources to help students in this time in other ways possibly that's such a good point actually you know (laughs) yeah you're right um also I just feel like being online is just never the same quality and yeah you're kind of like showing what you don't have in a way 
But I was reading the article that was posted here, which is on, um, which is called Learning as Avatars May Become the New Norm in Japan, which is on Asia One. Um, And I thought it was like really cute how, one, you can have your face projected onto an avatar. And also like when you're in a classroom, you can like sit next to people and you can have like different views if you want. Like you can toggle around and like view the board differently or view the people around you, which I think that's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> it certainly like, is a bit more dynamic than Zoom. Mm. It actually reminds me, I'm studying Chinese this semester, and one of our classes is a computer lab where we sign up on to a, like, um, I think it's called Second Life. So if any of you have heard of it, it's like uh, you create an avatar and explore this world. And they've made what they call Chinese Island. So for these computer labs, we have to practice our Chinese um, in everyday situations, whether it's buying a train ticket, we go up to the train station, buy a ticket using our avatars and talk to the seller there. We go to um, the market and buy food and we have to type in Chinese. So it sounds like a lot of fun. And I think it's definitely far more engaging than I suppose sticking to a formula which tended to happen when learning Japanese you have a dialogue and you just kind of fill in the blanks and stick to it it's not really like I mean it's still a computerized conversation but it makes it feel a bit more like in the practical situation and even though the appearance of your avatar doesn't really matter too much in this situation, it's nice to be able to have that semblance of um, the practical application when it comes to using what we've learned into these situations. But it might be different if, say, you're not studying a language or um, where it doesn't really have much of a learning value to you. Um, it can just be <laughs> a bit, as I suppose, disappointing when it's not the same. You're not buying anything on campus. You don't really get to feel that same atmosphere. And everyone has different internet connections. So it's <laughs> definitely not um, perhaps as user-friendly as Zoom. And Zoom is also questionable sometimes at its best. So, yeah, I think it's it's cute. And I love Swinburne's Swintopia. I saw it for, I think... Um, what was it? Um, open day. <laughs> that was really cute. It's so, so cute. <laughs> it looks like the first like generation of Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's a great way of yeah, introducing um, students as an alternative, but it's definitely not for everyone. But I like really like what you said. Then how it enables you to have a bit less of a formulated conversation when you're talking in Chinese because like yeah in Australia you don't get the walk up to a train station and just practice that or go to the shops and practice buying something and mm-hmm. it's formulated anyway it's formulated anyway if you're doing it in class and talking to another student so in this way you're saying it's actually really helpful because it's almost like less formulated mm-hmm. and like yeah you get to practice more that's a really interesting point I think it's also because if we have those conversation exchanges as well, it tends to be very similar. Like, how's your week been? This is me. I'm studying this. These are my hobbies. And 
you don't really go beyond like ordering food because you're not really going out together. You're not in the same country. It's all virtual. So it's, it's nice, but I think it would be a good second alternative to actually being in country, especially for those who perhaps can't be in country and practice those essential skills. This is just a return of those old browser games, you know, like Club Penguin and Habit. (laughs) It's just a resurgence. We're back. That's so true. Oh, my God. We could, could, like, go on servers that are purely just for, like, Japanese users or Chinese users and then practice your language skills through that (laughs) as a kind of informal way. Coming up is the discussion about something that we here at Asian Pop Nation discuss quite frequently, but it's always a timely topic that is Asian representation in Western media. Let's get straight into the interesting thoughts of some of our members here at Asian Pop Nation and also from another show here at Sin 90.7, Art Smitten. This is part of our Art Smitten and Asian Pop Nation collab. Keep on listening. This is Sin 90.7. It was recently announced that Rina Sawayama was actually is now eligible to be nominated for the Mercury Prize and the Brit Awards. Um, this happened. This was an issue actually around about last year because she was ineligible to be nominated for these prizes because of nationality uh, clauses, despite having been in the UK since she was a toddler. And so this kind of brings up an interesting discussion of how, uh, especially in the West, we perhaps don't get as much exposure to Asian music or Asian media, even though our multiculturalism is a very integral part of our lives and our communities. So even though Sayama is now able to be nominated and so is any resident of the UK for five years, even without British citizenship, we just wanted to throw it out to you. Everyone, what is your thoughts on Asian representation in the media, uh, especially here in Australia and the West? And I guess, is there any examples that people have come across that did it well or did it questionably? Well, um, I, obviously, like, in, you know, in Melbourne, it's in like um, there's a lot of, like, Jap- Asian culture and especially, like, Japanese culture, which... For me, um, I really enjoy, but I feel like it's it's hard to to like um like um it's hard to like know a lot of like Japanese music because um there's no real like radio stations or anywhere that play Japanese music um so it's, I guess there's a good thing about like this um a- APN. But um, like I mostly just find out. Otherwise, before that, um, I mostly just find out about like Japanese music through um, um, like games like Taiko no Tatsujin, and stuff. Or like um, like um, the Big in Japan playlist on Spotify. It's good to um, see like on listen to APN to find um, like Asian music there. 
Just from going on what Ben said, I thought it's a really interesting point how you said there's no mainstream mainstream radio show besides Asian Pop Nation, of course, um, <laughs> that really dedicates itself to specifically Asian music. And I find that so surprising in Australia, especially considering that we're part of Australasia and um, a lot of Australian citizens are, of course, of like Asian heritage. And yeah, I thought that was a really interesting point and I agree with that. I feel like whenever you have Asian representation, because I get what you mean, Imogen, it's kind of weird that like we're part of this sector of like the planet, yet we are so removed from it. I think with Asian representation, because in the West, I don't agree with this at all, right? But I think there's this idea that like if it's not West, it's foreign and that's like we don't we don't want to go near that. And I think the reason, I think when you do have representation of like Asian culture it's always in a way that's like palatable to Westerners and I think that's an issue because then you're like you're like you're when you're doing that you're you're weakening their culture in order to make it more palatable for non for Westerners I think that's an issue in itself um and it's I think it's really interesting like you've seen like recently in my opinion there's like an influx of like hybridity in nationality so it's like you won't have Asian culture. You have like Austral Asian or a- Asian American. And I think that's really interesting because it's like literally just like it's, it's, it's only marketable when it's kind of this like hybrid, but it's not marketable, marketable when it's on like when it's straight from those nations, like those cultures themselves through like their own produced films and televisions and that. But then also I think the whole, sorry, I'm going on a big tangent here. I think the whole like infatuation with like, um, like K-pop and J-pop, I mean, it's warranted, it's fantastic, but it's super interesting to me how, like, you'll see people only take that part of the culture and only bring that part of the culture on board. Um, Yeah, I think it's really weird. Like, even with everything with corona and, like, this just complete misrepresentation of it as, like, you know, the China virus, which is just so stupid, right? But um, that whole thing, but then they'll go watch, you know, their favourite, you know, Chinese um, animations or whatever. I just think that's super interesting. It's like the selectivity of it. Have I just gone on a massive rant? Just this this, this takes up a lot of space in my mind. We feel the passion. It's great. <laughs> let it out. Let it out. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that because I just got a press release on the Asian Pop Nation email from um, Funimation, which is a very popular animated Mm. animation streaming service and the demon slayer movie has now claimed the box office number one on the weekend for both australia and new zealand that might have something to do because of the lack of releases currently in the world today but it's interesting that i guess you know we started to see quite a large financial success and in Australia and in the West for these mediums. And I think people are starting to jump on board with it. It's no longer a niche thing to like anime, to like with um, Asian media. It's become yeah. the norm. Yeah, yeah no, like in the past, like 10 years, anime has become so much more mainstream. And that's why I don't watch it no more because it's not cool. Yeah, so you've got those people who perhaps, you know, oh, it's, like, it's not niche anymore, might drift away from it but it's it's interesting to see that it's got this acceptance but I agree with what you said Jessica it might be 
you take one element of a culture but not really go into much depth to understanding mm. the actual context that it comes from. Patience. How about representation in Western media? So we had the films like Crazy Rich Asians, Always Be My Maybe, the last All the Boys series came out, uh, the last film of the All the Boys trilogy came out, which had a Asian female lead. Do you think that's enough? And is there actually going to be a point where Asian representation will have reached an acceptable level for both um, for the Asian community and the Western community? Well, um, um, I, just, I just wanted to unplug, like, um, my favourite show right now is, um, like, a cartoon that's on Netflix called Glitch Text, and in it one of the um, the two protagonists is um, a Japanese-American girl named um, Miku um, Miko Kubota and like I think like she's definitely like the she's like um the the reason like I I w- um, was interested in the show in the first place because she's definitely like the the best the best part of it as far as I am and a lot of other people seem to be concerned. Was there? Something you wanted to say, Jessica, not to throw you under the bus or anything oh, no, about no, 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 no. representation? No, you're fine. You're <laughs> fine. Um, uh, no, no, I, um, Ben, I'll definitely add that to my list of my ever-growing list of film and television shows that I will just never, never finish. But it'll be on there and we'll get there eventually. Um, I a lot of anime I wanted to watch, but I'm I'm just um, into cartoons at the moment. I'll have the um start watching anime again later mm. I feel like for me with representation and a big disclaimer I am one of the whitest people you will ever meet so I don't know if it's necessarily for me to say when Asian representation has like reached its reached its end point but I think what's really for me in any type of representation whether that's representation of women like the Asian community um and like the different um subdivisions of that or like the BIPOC community whatever subcategory or group that is to me when it's at a point in culture whether that be film television whatever it's at a point where it's 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 no longer a spectacle or like it's no longer oh wow you have like this person in your cast wow you have like the representative in your cast like nobody looks at a white or white cast and goes wow what great representation because it's so normalized that we have white people in everything we do because everything we do is so white centric right so to me that's probably I feel like once you get to a point where it's like oh wow we can have a cast and we can have you know Asian women be the love interest and we can have you know people of colour be, you know, the love interest or whatever scenario. To me, it's like you've reached that point of representation when it's it's not anything to speculate over that they're in the cast because it's so indoctrined in your mind that, yeah, why wouldn't they be in the cast? Why wouldn't they be in the show? Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think we can ask you the question as well. When um, do you feel like it will be completely normalised or more normalised than it is now. Are we asking me that? Or? No, 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 no. The Asian pop nation. <laughs> oh, thank God. I was like, Imogen, that's a lot to throw on me. <laughs> I think Jessica made a, made a good point and I think that's definitely the ideal. But one thing I find interesting, especially with a show like Bridgerton, 
how people were concerned that it was um, not really addressing issues of race at that time. It's instead making um, them just, uh, there's a term for it, but it's completely slipped my mind. But I just think it's interesting, like trying to find that balance. Like it'd be great to have um, Asian characters have it normalized in media, but I wonder whether will we be doing the community a disservice if it's an Asian person who we don't really get to see their lifestyle and how it's different. We don't really get to embrace their differences. So I think maybe what I, I think would be great is to reach that level but also still have a lot of shows and stories that explore that aspect of what it means to fit in, what it means to be sort of different in a very, I guess, being being in a minority in such uh, in community or environment. Yeah, so it, it's hard to say where we'll be going or what the ideal would be, but I think it's just having that diversity and multitude of stories that are popular because I guess we're now seeing that growing acceptance of diverse stories and it'd be great to see it reach that pinnacle where it's no longer considered um, not <laughs> special is the wrong word, but just like the uh, taboo or be something that producers would no longer consi- would consider as maybe box office poison or something like that. Yeah. But what yeah, does well, um, anyone else from APN think? Well, um, I also like, um, I've noticed like when I go on to um, like the Hoyts, like to see what movies are, uh, showing at the moment i noticed they've been playing a lot of chinese films lately like in addition to um like the anime films and stuff so i thought that was um interesting that like hoyts is the place to go to watch like um out of chinese films do you think that's because of parasite winning last year's or the year, last year's was it last year? Yeah, last year. Yeah, last year's last year's yeah, big was. picture. Is it like was, now? That, that was Korean, and um, like I think yeah, I yeah. could be I could be wrong, but it only noticed like ch- like Chinese. I don't know. It could be like other nationalities. I. Do you guys think you've seen kind of a change in um, Asian representation, or like maybe the marketing of Asian cultured centric? like centred, not centric, centred, um, like content since Parasite went out? Because it felt like it was, you know, as, and I'm sure like Imogen can relate as like we study film, like been watching films in like non-English films for ages, but it just kind of felt like the second Parasite one, people were like, wait, so you can watch films with subtitles? That's like a thing you can do? Wow, that's insanity, and right? And win Oscars. Yeah, like, oh, my well. God. You can have great films that are not in English. That's baff- Like that was honestly like the vibe that I felt people were like, this is so surprising. So do you think you've kind of seen maybe the like the general discourse surrounding um, non-English films or like non-western films even or like the ex- change in like the acceptance of like asian representation films i know i'm asking a lot of questions this just genuinely interests me well it's certainly made um it certainly made people a lot more aware of foreign films in general i've found um 
yeah, I, I don't know. People just like watching Asian stuff a lot more now. <laughs> That's what I found, especially with um, like with Netflix. I found like in recent years, they've been putting on a lot of K-pop, a lot of Chinese shows, like all sorts of movies as well. Um, very interesting to see. It's a bit hard to tell because of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> whether the sentiment has changed, but I definitely think um, it's interesting to see what's trending on streaming platforms and where that content comes from. Like you, I guess you had, uh, I can't remember if that crash landing on you came out before Parasite one or after, but I know a lot of K dramas gain a lot of traction on streaming platforms and tend to be quite popular. So I'm not sure if that's it because of a shift towards it after Parasite or it's just that the fan base has become very, um, I guess, centred now that those streaming services are the place to go to watch content. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see. I think once or if we return back to how things were, it would be cool to analyse where we're going when it comes to Asian content in West and who's going to see it if there's more people going to see it. Yeah, for because I remember when Parasite, um, in the same award season, there was also The Goodbye. Have you seen that film? That's like that's another A24 film about um, this woman going to see her terminally ill grandmother be back in China before she um, passed away, but the family doesn't want the grandmother knows, so it's under the pretense that it's um, they're there for her. Is it her brother's wedding or her cousin's like wedding? Like a cousin's wedding, I think. A is this with Aquafina? Yes. Yes, I forgot the title, but it's oh, it. such a good film. It's a yeah. Great film, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's interesting. So that's also a, but that's an American film, being that's an, but that's like an American produced company where Parasite is was by a Korean company so I feel like maybe that would that make any difference would you say having the the stories being told I'm not quite sure would A24 be a bit more like western centric than uh, than Parasite would be I think so it's a bit more I guess palatable for western audiences because the people who go see them tend to be people of Asian American or Asian western backgrounds and if that film I can't remember how it went in China but I'm guessing I'm not sure if it would have been as successful if we saw for example with what they did with Milan and had to try and make it like a Chinese um, martial arts film or have elements of it inspired from that genre it it still didn't do quite as well (laughs) and same with Crazy Rich Asians is one of those stories where I think a lot of Asian Westerners might appreciate or understand, but find it, I guess, if you're living in Asia, it doesn't seem as, um, I guess, different to all of the other films that they tend to watch because of their Asian cast. So, yeah, I guess even within that, there's so many different Asian communities who um, perhaps are the target audiences for these films, but perhaps other Asian communities are not. So, yeah, I'm not sure if there's going to be a one a, a film or, or a series that unites all communities of how amazing and new and fresh it is. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what is in store 
Definitely. I was just thinking, would you say BTS kind of remind like unites people? <laughs> Is that <a> yes. BTS? <laughs> Straight out, yes. <laughs> But it's one of those things that the news sort of covers as like, this is a phenomenon that's taking over the world. Um, and it, it's interesting because I guess a lot of people who don't listen to BTS kind of think like, what, what's the fuss? And it's only really if listening to it that you would understand or I guess even talking to a fandom about what it is that about BTS that makes them so influential to them. But Again, it requires that capacity of being open, um, which I think is a bit hard sometimes, especially if it's new and foreign to you, even going the other way, I suppose, um, especially with, for example, my parents perhaps aren't as open to trying Western ideas. Like we still have things like rice for dinner all the time, despite having lived here for about like 12 years. So Rice is pretty good though. It is, it is. But it's like, yeah, we, we don't really, um, are quite set in how we go about things. So I guess it's a bit of a strange example or a strange comparison, but yeah, it's uh, all of these mediums require that openness to try and learn about it, which is hard to foster at times. Now, Celeste has some news to share with us about GOT7, so I don't want to take any more time from this urgent news. So, Celeste, feel free to take the floor. Hey, it's Celeste here giving you the music update, and this time we're going to talk about GOT7 for all the Agases out there. I know you're all sighing in relief about their latest release, and, you know, so am I. To put a bit of context of what's been happening, late last year, GOT7 released their comeback song called Last Piece. Not too long after, there were talks about GOT7's contract ending with JYP Entertainment after seven years. So when you put two and two together, you know, the comic song being called Last Piece and contract ending, it kind of sounds like the finale for GOT7 as a group. And we've seen fans in the past express outrage that GOT7 were usually mistreated by JYP in regards to not giving the group enough promotion time and not releasing music as often despite being an exceptional group. So when the news came out that all members had decided to part ways with JYP Entertainment, you know, many of us thought that this was it. This is the end of GOT7, despite members reassuring fans that they would set aside time to promote as a group while doing solo projects. You know, even Danny Kim from DKDKTV on YouTube had low hopes too. But we gotta be real here. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Right. I will chop off my balls if that happens. Don't, don't, don't make any promises. At the moment, Jin Young has signed with VH Entertainment to focus on acting, Yugyomi is excitedly signed on the AOMG, and we've seen him promoting with Jay Park, so yeah, I'm super excited to see what comes out of there. Yongjae is with Sublime Agency, Jackson is also with that same agency for Korean promotions, but is also working under his own company, Team Wang. JB is working on solo projects, Bam Bam has returned to Thailand to do promotional work, and Mark has returned to the US for a bit of a break and working on solo projects as well as YouTubing. So if you're interested in checking out to see what Mark's been up to, just hit him up on YouTube. So the thought that went through my mind, and I think this went through many of the Agassiz's mind, is that 
They won't have the time to always be fully together to promote as GOT7. With their busy solo schedules now, we won't really ever get another world tour due to this. And my heart goes out to any of the Agassiz who haven't seen GOT7 live in concert. I really feel for you. But I am also super grateful that I got to see them perform in Melbourne back in 2019. And something that sits fresh in my mind is it just makes me sad when Jackson mentions that they were worried about not selling enough tickets. And Jackson, you know, if you come back as GOT7 or as a solo artist to perform, I am there. I will always buy your tickets. I will buy three and drag my friends along. Just come back and perform in Melbourne, please. And so now here we are to the sigh of relief for Agassiz and myself out there. Because GOT7 surprised us all with a release. This song is especially dedicated to fans, reassuring Agassiz and myself that GOT7 is here to stay. Encore, the song, is about after the performance where they come back to perform, a metaphor to after JYP, they've come back to perform once again for fans and they will continue to do that. So I'm super excited to see where they take their solo projects and where they take their craft and music with GOT7 now that they can work together independently without restrictions. And so let's play that song for you now. For all the Agassiz out there, this is Encore by GOT7. the end of our collaboration with Asian Pop Nation and Art Smitten here on Sin 90.7 thanks so much for listening if you want to give us your thoughts or have any recommendations of what you'd like us to talk about or play on the show in the future please reach out to us on our social media pages we're on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation you can also listen to any moments that you've missed on the show on Omni Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Play Thanks so much for listening. This is Senya from Asian Pop Nation here on Sin 90.7, signing off.